welcoming ministry. There's a note likewise in the bulletin with the details. We're looking to recruit some new people. And it says in the bulletin that we, people who would love to be involved in greeting um, with a nice, warm and welcoming attitude. I'll make a deal with you. You see Daryl and join up the team. We'll supply the warmth. You bring the welcoming attitude. How's that? It's a very important uh, aspect to any church life and to our church that people feel greeted, that people feel welcomed. Um, but it's not just up to that team. That's certainly an important part of it, but it's also everybody's responsibility. <clears throat> 30 years ago, I went to a church and I got the best welcome I have ever had in any church. I can still remember it 30, 30 plus years later. I must have been great greeted by about, I don't know, six, seven or eight, a lot of people. Normally, in most churches, you come in, you shake the hand of one person, and then you go and sit down. That's normal. Uh, HTB, in fact, over in, um, in England, where we were just recently, and that's where our daughter goes, they have a person on the door, and they stand there, and they just say, good morning. Good morning. And the bulletins are over there on a table, and if you want one, you grab one. If you don't want one, then you don't have to. And they also have CDs and stuff from previous weeks. And, but the welcoming there, they just do it by... But they're English. They're different. <laughs> different culture but because they're also Anglican they do this thing called passing the peace you know what that is I will use who are ex-Anglicans you know what it is he's smiling back at me um that's where you we do the meet, meet and greet you know shake hands stuff well they call that passing the peace which when you think about it it's actually not a bad idea that when you turn to just greet one another and you're awkward because you don't know that person probably that you're sitting or near you or around you You've got to shake their hands. What do you say? Mm, good morning. And what? So they actually give you a phrase to say. And the phrase they give you to say is... Hey, no, not how you going. It's, good try, Martin, but no. It's um, the peace of Christ be with you. And there is a reply, which is... And also with you. So now you've got something to say to the person while you're shaking their hands. Peace of Christ be with you. And, they, and also with you. Now it can be routine, mundane and, and just as bad as, yeah, good morning, how are you? You know, it's as, it can be as empty as that, can't it? But it can also be engaging. You, for true believers, it really is, you know, the peace of the Lord Jesus may be with you right now. And you look them in the eye and give it to them. And, and also with you coming back. It's a blessing that you're putting upon one another's lives. Want to have a go? No, you don't, do you? <laughs> anyway, the church that I went to, I got off track a long time ago where I got these six, seven, eight handshakes, came in and there was all these people lined up and, um, and, and just the way the building was as well, it enabled that. We came in and we sat down, first time church for us and uh, first time we were in that church and at the end of the service, good service, good teaching and uh, at the end of the service, we just sat there. I just want to see what happens. And guess what happened? Nothing happened. We got the best welcome coming in. And nobody, and I mean nobody, spoke to us at the end of it. Maybe it was me sitting there like this with a scowl on my face, maybe. I don't think so. I just thought, isn't this interesting? So warm coming in, so cold at the end of the service. Let us not make that mistake. So yes, we need a welcoming team. That's going to help us, but it doesn't absolve you of the responsibility. When you sit next to people, be warm, be friendly, be engaging, 
and be prepared to pray for them. At the end of the service, engage them in a conversation if you're comfortable in doing so. You know, look people in the eye and bless them and farewell them and if necessary, you know, how was the sermon today? What do you give that out of 10? And then give me the feedback, the numbers of... Don't you dare. And don't listen to the message for other people. Listen to the message for you. God wants to speak to you. And we all do it. The preacher, not just me, that when somebody's speaking and we hear somebody say something, we think, gee, I hope they're listening. That's just for them. We all do it, don't we? Well, the Lord wants to speak to you this morning. And so I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite you to turn with me in God's word to 2 Corinthians. So let's pray first. Thanks, Father, for your word. Thank you for the translations, for those who translated it out of Hebrew, Greek and Aramaic into English so that we can read it. And we're not dependent upon others who, who are gifted in reading those languages. We thank you for the opportunity we have to sit under the teaching of your word. And we do ask, Lord, that you will speak to us today through these passages that you will make it clear to us what you require of us as you build your church. Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. And everybody said? The Lord Jesus is building his church. He loves the church and he's building it. And as we've been saying over the last month and a bit, the church Jesus is building is made up of believers, believers who are united with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, people who are reconciled to one another, a church that is uh, celebrating and remembering both communion, the Lord's Supper, but also demonstrating obedience through the waters of baptism. We've spoken about those things. Now, these next two Sundays, we're going to talk about giving. Now, the Lord Jesus gives to us gifts, and it requires us to be involved in service. That's next Sunday's talk. And in this service, we're going to have... I think it's this service. Yes, it'll be this service. Um, we're going to have a parade service and so we're going to have three of our brigaders actually bring the message, two guys and a girl. You might pray for them um, as they work through 1 Corinthians 12. We've done that before and they've done it extremely well in the past. This morning we're talking about giving as well and it's our giving, not just simply serving through gifts, but our giving back to God and particularly in the area of our finances, about being a good steward. So, yep, welcome to church. We're going to talk about money. <laughs> Corinthians chapter 8. It's chapters 8 and 9 is what we've assigned to this talk. So I'm just going to read the first part of chapter 8. And then Gary, I'll just read this first one and I'll invite you to put those just back to the beginning, back up before, and I'll work my way through it. And then we'll go do the second reading. <clears throat> so this is 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, you can put it on the screen, that's okay. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Macedonian churches are those that's Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. You may know some of those names. Verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in their service for the Lord's people. And they went beyond our expectations, having given themselves first of all to the Lord. Then they gave themselves by the will of God also to us. 
So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you excel also um, in this grace of giving, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Let's just stay open at that passage and let's just work our way through it and look at the principles that this passage reminds us of about giving. And I am fully aware that often, just like in the conversion transformation process, it's the hip pocket nerve and it's the right foot that is often the one that is the last to come under the influence of the spirit. The right foot when we're driving our car, we drive it too fast, and the hip pocket nerve is the one where we take it very personally, that you're talking about my money. Well, let's see what the Bible says about that. Here are 11 quick principles out of that passage. It's rapid fire. <clears throat> it's not so much I want you to remember the 11 principles, it's more I just want you to get the feel of it, see it in the passage and go back and read it over and let it gel and let the Lord challenge you on any one of these given principles. Number one, giving is motivated by God's grace, verse one. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace of God that has been given to the Macedonian churches. This is one of the effects when we come to know Jesus of God's transforming grace, that he transforms us into being sacrificial and giving people, makes us more generous because we recognize what God has done for us in Jesus and it changes us. Giving is motivated by God's grace, number one. Number two, giving transcends even difficult circumstances. And for these guys, it was even in the midst of poverty verse 2 they were facing many severe trials extreme poverty persecution but they still gave and i find that to be generally true in life it's often the people who have very little who are the most generous not in terms they give an amount but in terms of the percentage that they give they may only give five dollars but it's because they only have five dollars i find that generally like that and i also find generally speaking the more that we get, the more that we keep. And while we have a superabundance, we also give $5. Uh, but it's because we have 500 or 5,000. And for some of you, you have 500,000 that you could give. And so God doesn't look just at what you give. He looks at what have you got left over. Giving transcends even difficult circumstances, even poverty. Number three. Giving is with great joy, also in verse 2, overwhelming joy. God loves a cheerful giver. They did it gladly, they did it freely, they did it because they wanted to do it, they entered into it. Number four, they were giving, their giving was generous, it was focused upon others, we'll come back to that one. Number five, in verse 3, they gave as much as they were able, their giving was proportionate, it was according to their ability, and even, in fact, it was, number six, sacrificial. It was beyond their ability. They gave because they were very concerned about their poor brothers and sisters in another location and they wanted to dig deep and give generously. And they knew the biblical principle, as you probably do as well, that when you give like that, God always gives back more than what you give away. Giving is sacrificial. Verse three, also giving is voluntary. They chose this course of actions it was self-initiative it was something they wanted to do not something they were forced to do 
Uh, Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 and 2. Listen to this. The Lord says to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. It's a great verse, isn't it? Exodus 25, verse 2. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. So giving is to be voluntary, not mandatory, not under compulsion. Verse 4 of chapter 8, giving is a privilege. That's how they saw it. Um, They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. That word pleaded with us is the same word that the leper uses when he comes to the Lord Jesus and he pleads with him to be healed. It's pleading. Their attitude to giving was this is a privilege and it's something we really want to do. They were insistent upon it. They knew the biblical truth. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You'll see that demonstrated in about six weeks or whatever it is till Christmas on Christmas Day. You'll get a bigger buzz out of giving presents than you will out of receiving presents. Usually. This is probably one of the most significant principles of all. This is number nine. Giving is an act of worship. Giving flows out of surrender to God. Verse five. Um, They first gave themselves to the Lord. They laid themselves fully surrendered before him. We are yours. Everything we have is yours. What do you want us to do with that which you have given us? And they responded. Giving is the overflow of this commitment to God. A life that is fully surrendered to God, giving is the overflow of it. It just flows out of them. Jeremiah 30, verse 21. Chapter 30, verse 21 says, Who is the person who will devote themselves to be close to me? God's question. Who is the person who will devote themselves to be close to me? God's looking for people to be close to him, to be devoted to him. Let us be those ones. I love that story of the little boy, a little fellow in a Presbyterian church in Scotland. And he's in church and his heart's moved and he's at a young age but he loves Jesus and he's worshipping God. Comes time for the offering. It's from a poor family. He has no money, no coins, no spare cash. Whether his mum or dad gave him, you know, pocket money or whatever. And on this particular day, he had nothing. So when the offering plate came, it was a plate. When the offering plate came to him, he took the plate and he put it on the floor in the aisle. And then he stood in the plate. And he's saying, God, I don't have any money to give you, so I'm going to give you myself. That's the best gift, isn't it? That's the best offering. That's the offering God wants to receive. They first gave themselves to the Lord. That's it. So when we do an offering in church and we do it every Sunday in all of our services, first thing, give yourself to God. And then out of the overflow of your surrender and commitment to him, then give. And as we'll come to some of the details of that in a minute. Number 10, verse 8 reminds us that giving is proof of our love for others. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Do you really care, in this case, about another group, another church who were very poor in Jerusalem, they were really struggling, and we want the churches, Macedonia and Greece and so on, to Europe, to um, take up a collection for the saints. Show, demonstrate, don't just talk about, but demonstrate, show it by giving. And verse number 11 is verse 9, of course. How can you get past that verse? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was rich. 
He was very rich in heaven, on a throne, multitude of angels to serve him, streets paved with gold. He was rich and he gave it all up to do what God wanted him to do in order to help others, us, to die on Calvary's cross for us. He was rich. He became poor so that we, through his poverty, could become rich. What Jesus has done spiritually on the cross, paid for our sins, sets us free, duplicate that in the process of giving. We sacrifice, we give generally. Giving is motivated by God's grace. It just transcends even difficult circumstances. It's to be done with joy. Giving is to be generous, not tight and stingy. And not, I'm not just talking just about in the offering plate. I'm talking about giving generally. Giving is proportionate according to our ability with whatever is in our heart. I love the attitude of uh, a friend of ours. I haven't, we haven't seen them for a long time, 20 years. Uh, but every time we just touch base or whatever, we're like we haven't been apart. His attitude was because he was, uh, he never had a lot of money and probably still doesn't to this day. But his attitude was always, I want to give more. I, can, I give this much. And he's one of the best financial home budget managers I've ever seen. He accounted for every cent. And he gave as much as he could work out and cheerfully give to God. But he was always heartbroken. He always wanted to make it more. Giving is a privilege. Giving is voluntary. It's sacrificial. Giving flows out of our surrender to God. It's proof of our love for others. And it emulates the example of the Lord Jesus. He gave his all. And sometimes God will tap you on the shoulder and he will want you to give your all. He'll want you to get rid of your diamond engagement ring. He'll want you to sell your cars, your house, your boat, your caravan. Don't know about the golf clubs, might let you keep those. For some of you, he will tap you on the shoulder and say, I want you to surrender it all, give it up, and I want you to go do this. He does not say that to most of us. To most of us, he'll tap us on the shoulder and say, work hard, make as much as you can so you can give as much as you can so you can support these people over here whom I'm saying, give it up. We have to support them. They're the ones who get called to go to be missionaries, or they're the ones who get called to go to be pastors or church planters and particularly in very difficult countries places and circumstances second passage 2 corinthians chapter 9 we get more principles on what the bible teaches us about giving 2 corinthians chapter 9 and verses 6 uh, well let me race through the first what is it five verses or so this is um Basically, where the Corinthians had made a promise in a previous time, about 12 months previously. And Paul had been telling them about others of the promise of how generous they were going to be. And Paul telling other people about it had motivated others to copy that example. And, and so they gave. And now Paul's putting two and two together and saying, uh, well, I'm coming and I'm going to do the collection. And uh, fellas, what you promised, you better deliver. You know, it's, otherwise, it's going to be a shame. It's going to be egg on the face. It's going to be very, very embarrassing, he says in verse 4. If you're not ready... And so he's sending some friends off to, you know, what you promised, deliver. 
do what you said you were going to do. In the midst of that, he gives this um, principle, verse 6. Remember this, he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's a biblical principle. Each of you should give what you decide in your own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they've scattered abroad their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of food and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, there's a lot in there. Let me pause there and simply go through this very quickly. Here are some more principles. It is a biblical principle mentioned in the scriptures that according to the measure that we give, is how God determines the measure that we receive of what we get. Whoever sows a little sparingly will also reap sparingly. Those who sow generously and plenty, put a lot of effort in, will reap an abundant harvest. What you sow is what you grow, is the principle. And there also goes on to say that we are to, each of us is to give. Each of us has to decide in our heart how much to give. And God is looking for us to be joyful, cheerful, glad to do so. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not under obligation. I think it's a good, healthy practice that generally we tithe. But some of you are in circumstances where you quite literally cannot afford to tithe. Well, that's not the issue. And the issue is you give according to what you have the capacity to do. But for those of you who are, and most of us are in a capacity where we can not only tithe, we can do more than that. And so for us, sometimes the tithe can become an easy way out. But if you are tithing, well, thank you and bless you. But if you're tithing under compulsion, if you're tithing reluctantly, eh, stop it. Don't do it. God does not need your money. But he does want to bless you. And he knows one of the best ways to bless you is by teaching you to be able to give. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. He wants you to know and experience that. God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8 says in chapter 9 that once we do give, once we enter into giving in this way with this attitude, then God is able to bless you abundantly so that you will A, have all you need and B, so that you will abound in every good work. You give, God will bless, he'll give back to you so that you can give again, so that you can receive back so that you can give again. And on the process, generally, there will be an increase. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's how God wants to work. Am I saying that God wants to make us all wealthy and extremely well off? No, not saying that. But for those whom he does, then that's an incredible responsibility. Um, let me read to you Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25. Proverbs 11. Scribble that one down. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another person withholds unduly and comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others 
will be refreshed. What you sow is what you reap. The Lord Jesus promised in Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you. And then Jesus goes on to say, and what's given back to you is good measure, um, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. You give and it'll be given back to you more than you gave. Don't think of that only in terms of financial gain. Think of that in terms of the blessings and the joy that will come back into your life. You will get more out of it than you put into it. And the Lord is able to enlarge and to prosper you so that you can be generous to others. And then they'll be thankful to God for you and for your love and obedience. So, out of these two passages, what are we supposed to do? Number one, make Jesus Lord of all. Surrender your life fully to him. For many of you, most of us here today are Christ followers. That's something we are to do, not just at one point in our life, but it is to be a daily thing, to take up our cross daily, to deny ourselves. And it's take up the cross. It's not have someone put the cross upon you. It's a voluntary surrender to the Lord. Here I am, Lord. Like that little kid in the Presbyterian church, I give you my all. What do you want me to do? I am your servant and I will be obedient. And some of us, I know, don't do that because we're fearful that he will say, I want you to sell it all and I want you to go to Africa or I want you to go to India or I want you to go to New South Wales or something horrible like that. <laughs> but God is good. Some people he takes out of New South Wales. Make yourself fully available to him. If that's where you're struggling right now in your life, then please tell someone and get them to pray for you and to keep asking you about how is the wrestle going. You were not made to live independently of God. You were not made to do it your way on your own. He made you to live with him and walk hand in hand, arm in arm with him through all of life's circumstances. He made you that way and you'll be happy that way. Make Christ Lord of all. Decide that you're going to give and you're going to give regularly and pray and ask him to lead you. Lord, how much? What do you want me to be giving? And in a little while, Andrew Forbes from the management team is going to come and he's going to give you some practical ways that you can do that giving, that part of our giving through the life of our church. It's not all of our giving, but certainly some practical ways that you can do it. Make Jesus Lord of all. Decide to give. Pray and ask him, Lord, how much do I give? And then start acting out now so that you'll be blessed in the here and now and that you'll receive a reward in heaven later. God wants to bless you now. The University of Virginia has a professor and the professor had a question. Um, what elevates the human spirit? What elevates us? What gives us buoyancy and joy and satisfaction in life? And so he gave an assignment to his students and the assignment went like this. It was a bit of a debate. Happiness comes from either doing acts of kindness or does happiness come more from the pursuit of our own pleasures, doing the things that we really like? Which gives us the greater exaltation in life? Which one blesses us more? So he gave them the assignment, they went off and they had to go do an act of kindness, an act of uh, selfless kindness towards another, a philanthropic activity. And they also had to engage deliberately in some deliberate um, 
pleasurable activity, some event that would bring the great joy, going to a favourite restaurant or uh, going to a sporting event or going, whatever, a movie or going shopping and spending your credit card, maxing it out, I don't know, whatever is pleasurable. And then they were to write an essay to take note of their responses, of how they felt after the act, after the event, the act of kindness or the pleasurable um, activity. And the students wrote back, and they write words like, the afterglow of the pleasurable activity, friends, events, whatever, um, paled in comparison to the, what do they call it? To the effects of the kind action, to the emotional high that they got from being kind to another. And they said, especially when it was spontaneous and it called on your own personal strengths, the whole day just went better. Acts 20 verse 35 is true. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It gives us a buoyancy in our spirit. Make Jesus Lord of all in your life. Give yourself fully to him. In fact, I encourage you, don't leave this service until you've done exactly that. Let him lead you. Decide and plan to give. Act now. You'll be blessed now, like those students found out, as well as you'll be rewarded later. A couple of other truths remind you, I remind you, that God owns it all anyway. It's on loan. You've borrowed it, he's lent it to you, but you will be returning it to him, the rightful owner, after you've used it. And he, because he is the rightful owner, he can take it away now or he can multiply it now. He's the owner. God has ways where he can take it away. He can put holes in your pocket, Haggai chapter 1 says. He can make the share market drop. He can give you medical expenses that are unexpected. God can remove it from you. It's not yours. You possess it. You don't own it. You have responsibility to use it very carefully. Imagine that all of your assets, that your wealth doubled overnight, that you have twice as much money in the bank yet tomorrow as you do today. Well, you still own exactly the same amount as you do right now. Nothing. You own zero. You possess it. You are responsible for it. He has entrusted it to you. But he's given it to you because he wants you to use it responsibly. Now, I'll expand that in just a moment. But I want to tell you a story, a very quick story, about a church in New York City. And, and New York is very expensive real estate and so on. And this particular church was, I don't know, a church of 150, 200 people. Episcopalian, I think it was. That doesn't matter. Had some very wealthy people in it. And anyway, one day, one of their parishioners, one of the members of the church, passed away and bequeathed their entire estate to the church, $36 million. Here is this church, Upper New York, now has a gift of $36 million. What was the church's response to that? Refurbished the inside, poured air conditioning in, spent it on themselves? No. The leaders of the church got on their knees and they said, Lord, you have given us an incredible gift with a very great responsibility. What do you want us to do with this money? Tell us. We're the stewards of that which you have entrusted to us. Luke 12, 48. Unto whom much is given, much is required. It's an awesome responsibility to be wealthy. And I don't want it. I do not want to be... Ex well, I need to be careful what I say here. I do want to be comfortable. But I don't want to be a millionaire. 
I don't want to be. Rick Warren is a millionaire. He wrote that book, Purpose Driven Life, and now because of just writing the book, the royalties that come from that, he's a multi-millionaire. And he was very wise. He and his wife Kay said, we don't change the car, we don't change the house, we don't change our clothes, we don't change our income, we don't change where we shop, we don't change our grocery bill, everything is the same. And all this other money, we give back. We give it away. He gives away 90% of it every year, to every week, to uh, church or missions or programs or whatever. It's an awesome responsibility for God to give you that amount of money. Evangelist Greg Laurie tells the story of an older lady lived in California, which is where he was from, and she was determined to be prepared that if someday she was threatened by some of the violences that was going on, and it is in America, and awful things do happen. And of course, not just there. Anyway, she went out and she bought a gun, this little old lady. She's in her 70s or something like that. She took lessons, bang, bang, and she carried it with her in her handbag one day, she went shopping, did a grocery shopping. She's rolling her trolley back to the car. When she gets to the car, inside her car, she sees four young people. Obviously, they'd broken into her car. So she thought, right. So she takes her bag. She takes out the gun. She goes and sticks the gun in through the window. And she says to them, I have a gun. I know how to use it. Now get out of my car. Uh, they did. They took off. She was a bit shaken. She was a bit nervous, but rather pleased with herself. Lifts the boots, puts the bags, the groceries in the thing, closes it down, puts the trolley back in the tray, comes back, can't get the key in the ignition. And then she realises, it's not my car. <laughs> identical to her car, and her car was about five or six spaces away, and she just hadn't seen it. You ever done that? You ever tried to go and get in somebody else's car that looks like yours? I have. Somebody else has that I know. <laughs> Anyway, she did the right thing. She took the groceries out of that car. She put the groceries back in her car, closed the thing, started the car up, drove herself straight down to the police station to turn herself in. When she got there, the desk sergeant nearly fell off his chair just laughing about the whole thing. When she told him the story, he pointed down the other end of the can, another part of the room, where there were four young men who were telling this terrible story of this curly, white-haired old lady with thick glasses who had uh, robbed them of their car. She thought it was her car, but it really belonged to somebody else. You think it's your money, but it really belongs to somebody else. And he has entrusted it to you, for you to use responsibly and wisely. Finally, give yourself to God. Make a decision what you're going to do about what you give. Pray and ask him, Lord, how can I be generous? How can I give what you want me to give? And to whom do I need to be giving then? Um, God owns it all. And then finally, of course, you can't take it with you. John Ortberg wrote a great book called When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box. It's a great title, isn't it? And in that book, he talks about when people come to, when they get to the end of life, they have... Um, regret. Some people have regrets, and those regrets fall into four categories. Number one, I wished I had loved more. Number two, I wished I had laughed more. Number three, I wished I had given more, been more generous. And number four, I wished I had lived more boldly. Interesting, isn't it? And Altberg outlines, he says, what goes back in the box at the end of the game? At the end of life, our possessions, all of them, 
our resume, our money, our pleasures, um, our reputations, our position and titles, our youth, our beauty, our fitness, our prestige. For me, all of my library, the house, the car, the clothes, the credit cards, all gone. What goes on? My soul. People, other people. And the deeds of love that I have done while in the body will precede me to the accounting day. It's an awesome reminder, isn't it? And we need to think about the end of our days. I want to finish to read to you a passage of scripture which I love when we talk about giving, 1 Timothy chapter 6. It has an incredible balance in it. You need to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to give you the last paragraph, verses 17 to 19. And in here there are some wonderful principles of giving. This is the word of God. This is what God says. Command those who are rich in this present world. Command them not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. God first. Give him your all, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love that phrase. Our Heavenly Father richly provides us with everything. Why? For our enjoyment. He loves us. He wants to bless us. He has resourced us. And he's saying, that's for you to enjoy. Not only that, but it is there to enjoy. So is it okay to take my money and to go buy nice shirts or nice clothes? Yes, I'm allowed to enjoy myself. He wants me to enjoy myself. Verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. So yes, I can spend it on me, but not just me. I'm a responsible steward. And sometimes a father, I'm to ask him, how much should I give? What should I do? When people ask for money, what should my response be? Should I support this organisation or that organisation? Verse 19, in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Command those who are rich, don't trust in your wealth, give yourself to God, be generous, enjoy the journey, but be on the lookout for the opportunities to use the resources God has given you, and you will enter into life here and now. The blessings will lift you up and give you a joyful spirit, and you will have rewards waiting for you in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've been reminded that you are a very generous, giving God. That in Jesus you gave it all in order that we might benefit. And now you invite us likewise. As you resource us, as you supply us, so you invite us to join hands with you in the process of giving. And you know what such a joy, such blessings that you get out of giving to others and helping them. You experience that all the time and you invite us to experience it. So Lord, I pray that you might guide our thoughts, guide our thinking, help us to be generous, sacrificial and obedient givers. Because of Jesus, we pray in his name. And everybody said? Andrew.